0: your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. It is almost Memorial Day, folks, and that is usually the kickoff to summer, and I know a couple of kids in my house who are super excited about that. But kickoffs to summer also could mean a lot of other things. And I know for a lot of families, it means like things are getting back to normal. And that can be a little overwhelming, especially in the times such a shift from the year we had last year. And I can feel it, right? There's this sense of overwhelm and trying to figure out how am I going to manage all the things again when we just got used to our old life, (laughs) our new life, I should say past weekend was actually one of the few weekends we have unscheduled from now until the 4th of July and that seemed a little overwhelming to me and so we decided to take advantage of it. We did a brown sign tour where we went to, if you aren't familiar, brown signs are kind of points of interest that are designated by local communities so I always keep notes on different places that seem intriguing to me. And in Wisconsin, if you haven't heard, Door County is a very popular place, but it's pretty hectic in the summer. So I'm also an tourists who doesn't like to travel <laughs> to all those crazy places when there's these large crowds. So we spent the weekend in Door County checking out some amazing brown signs. And it was so amazing to come home. We made it home at like nine o'clock last night and... My son, my five-year-old, looked at me and said, Mom, that was the best day ever. And all the kids were like, yeah, that was so awesome. And so that's why, like that was my why. That is why we do this work. And that's why I've started this podcast to really inspire all of you to connect as a family. And if that seems hard, if adventure seems like it's always complicated and you need to simplify it, I'd really encourage you to try out our 60-Day Everyday Adventure Challenge. I'm inspiring families. I really wanna connect families. I wanna give you some insights. I'm gonna support you along the way. So if you want to check that out, go to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash challenge and get registered. It starts on June 5th, but you need to be registered before then. And the price goes up on June 1st. So check it out. OrdinarySherpa.com backslash challenge. I also want to share that I am really close to 10,000 downloads. I had no idea when I launched this podcast last November that this would become a thing. But if you want to help me reach that 10,000 downloads, share it with a friend or a family member. You know, this is how the Sherpa community grows. This is how we can add more people and really support each other on this process. So if you know someone that would find value from the content, please feel free to share it. Today's episode is going to focus on the foundations of connection. And I thought just to give some context, it would be helpful for me to share my connection to the guest. As a child, I think my third home was my grandma and grandpa's house. I spent many days either biking up there because they lived merely a mile down the road or they might pick me up at the top of the driveway and after the school bus dropped me off. But I have many fond memories. My grandfather actually was a Lutheran pastor who purchased the land that I live on today as a retirement thing. He was hoping to start a trout farm and it was through that trout farm actually that my mom and dad met and I guess you can figure out the rest of the story from there. My grandfather had the best stories. He was a relentless creative and was always making games or crafts out of nothing. There's just always a new backyard adventure every time I went up there. But the other thing that was fun was everybody knew my grandpa. People would just come to him in their times of joy and celebration or in times of grief and sorrow. And I also think he was just so passionate about the outdoors that many of the circles around hunting and fishing, too, just felt really interconnected with who he was and how he showed up. I recall sharing many coffee clutches with his friends at the dining room table. And while he was having a very serious conversation on the side, we were playing a game or he was playing some goofy little prank on the guest without them even knowing it. He was always someone who could steal your attention and play and yet have very serious conversations at the same time. I was recently listening to the podcast Dwell on These Things, hosted by John Stange, where he was discussing with a fellow dad entrepreneur and friend that as a pastor, he sees a lack of family connection and that impact in the family relationship, most often with dads. And I thought about my own relationship with my father. My dad was an insanely hard worker, and I think you could ask anyone in his family, and that's probably how they would describe him. He was just a really hard worker. But I was really lucky in the fact that I could always go to my grandma and grandpa, and they would offer this extra layer of support, maybe when my parents couldn't. There were quite a few of us, and But in 2020, when I was struggling just with connection in general, I was listening to John's podcast and I felt this tug back to my grandfather. John is a pastor, husband and father to four children, ages 15 to 20. And I would say he's just one of those people that everything he touches seems to turn to gold. He's a relentless giver, authentically honest and uncanningly simple. John has a resume far beyond what my introduction will be, but I will say he hosts three podcasts, the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, Daily Devotions with Pastor John, and Dwell on These Things. At present, his shows have been downloaded nearly 5 million times by listeners throughout the world. He also is the author of newly released book, Dwell on These Things. Since the Ordinary Sherpa podcast is designed to inspire families to connect, I thought it was worthy to invite John to be a guest. John Stange, welcome to Ordinary Sherpa
1: thanks heidi. It's great to be on,
0: yeah, so I just love to dispel myths that's one of my favorite things to do. so I always like to start nice. with this story of as a pastor, you must be this perfect little boy <laughs> that turned out to be a perfect husband and father. can you that's true, right?
1: <laughs> that is so far from <laughs> from true, it's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> well, good. That's a good way to introduce you. So tell me though, yeah. a little bit about, you know, you are serving in a pastor role right now. So let's just start there. And what are some of the challenges you see related to this concept of families having challenges connecting?
1: I see that all the time. You know, I that's the type of thing that can be challenging in all sorts of spheres. I I think one of the things that I notice it in a lot is with some of my pastoral colleagues, because so much of our time is spent serving other people or carving out time for other people's needs that it can almost become this mindset where we expect our household to just kind of hold it together so that I can keep meeting the needs of other people. And I have talked to many people that have grown up in ministry households that have ended up growing up kind of resenting it because they felt ignored or they felt like they were secondary in importance. And one of the things that my wife and I decided when we answered this calling to serve in this capacity was that we would put our family first and that we would serve in contexts that respected that. We wanted to make sure that our children never felt like they were secondary in importance. We wanted to make sure that that our household knew that we would drop other things for their benefit and we would cancel other things for their benefit. And if we scheduled something with them, we didn't cancel it because somebody else had a crisis that came up or whatever it may be, unless I guess, you know, there have been a few times where there have been some major things that everybody understood mm-hmm. it. we needed to pause what our, what our original plan was. But if you ask my children, two of which are adults now and two of which are still in high school, I'm convinced that they would tell you that they grew up knowing that they were top priority.
0: That's awesome. Was that your experience as a child, too? Did you feel like you had that strong connection with your parents and with your brothers and sisters?
1: I have an extremely strong connection with my siblings. I have two younger sisters. One is about a year younger than me, and the other is five years younger than me. And we have been tight from day one and interestingly you know I'm, I'm very tight with my father and i was very tight with my mother as well my mother passed away a few years ago but our household went through two very different phases when I was growing up for for the first eight years of my life. Our household was very stable it was very much picture perfect My father owned a grocery store and ran the grocery store and My mother was a stay at home mom taking care of us and Then when I was eight years old, our household blew up and uh, you know i, I won 't go into every one of the details, but I will say that my parents went from working together to very much being on opposite sides of life and relationship. And and they, they divorced and there was a lot of conflict and a lot of difficulty and a lot of transition for us. And in the midst of that, that's when I really latched on to my relationship with God and my relationship with my younger sisters. I was kind of cast into not just being big brother, but being very much a stabilizing force in their life. I'm grateful that my relationship with the Lord has remained strong throughout the course of my life, and my relationship with my sisters has remained strong. And you might appreciate this, Heidi. It was important to me when I got married that that my wife be somebody that it also got along with my sisters. And, and uh, my wife loves my sisters, and in fact, my wife and her sister— got together with my two sisters this week, and they, they do this uh, once or twice a year. They have a sister weekend where they just disappear, and the four of them get together, and they spend time together. So it's just neat to see that my siblings that I've been so close to can be so close to my wife and, and her one sister, and, and that family structure just continues to expand and grow, and those tight-knit relationships continue to be developed.
0: That is so exciting. And I can imagine for your your wife and your sisters, it's so neat that you actually, they all get along. I don't even have sisters. And I always said, I don't know that I ever want one because girls can be challenging. <laughs> and I felt pretty fortunate to have all brothers. So I think that's awesome that your wife can connect with your sisters at that level.
1: I, I am so grateful for that. And you, you know what really helps with that? A lot of things help with that. I mean, we, we share the same worldview and faith. That certainly helps. But the fact that our family. Is awkwardly honest and uh, willing to be just transparent and open with each other. And I watch my sisters do that for my wife, which I think is very disarming. And my wife, in turn, does that for my sisters. And they just hit it off from the earliest days. And, you know, ever since my wife and I started dating in college, my sisters and my wife uh, have, have been tight, which is can be a problem because I don't have any brothers. And so sometimes they gang up on me (laughs) and I'm trying to support them in in hanging out and and doing all this, but the tables turn on me very easily, Heidi. And so I don't know, maybe it isn't a good idea that I had so many sisters, but (laughs) regardless, no, they they get along. And uh, I really love seeing that.
0: As you and your wife, you had mentioned, you always put family first. How did you do that? I think that's one of the tricks of being a working parent. Oh yeah. How do you... Figure that out. You know, have you had growing pains and I'm I'm just curious because you seem to have a really strong connection though with all of your kids. So talk through that. I'm a working parent. What do I do?
1: All right. Well there's two phases of this. Uh, well, maybe even three phases. There's the idealistic phase that my wife and I had prior to, am I, I don't know if I've even mentioned my wife's name yet on the podcast here. Her <laughs> name is Andrea. How about I just call her Andrea from now on? So Perfect. I'm speaking of her in you know, such a third person kind of way. But Andrea and I, we were you know, idealistic as we were dating and we had all these ambitions and goals about how we thought life was going to be when we got married and had a family. And so there was the ideal phase where we talked about that. And then once we got married and started having kids, we had kids pretty early into the marriage. Within the first few years of of being married, we had our first child. And then all four of our children are close together in age. And they were all born right at at the time when I was beginning my ministry career as a pastor. But uh, as you know, I, I tend to be into a lot of things, right? I tend to be entrepreneurial and I tend to say yes to a lot of things. And so during that early season of parenthood, I was saying yes to a million different things and had gotten myself plugged into a million different things and really don't feel like I was carving out time the way I had pledged to both for my wife and for my kids. And I remember as I noticed this and I noticed how how little free time I had, it didn't sit well with my conscience. And so one of the first things I did was I said to Andrea, I said, I need to get away from all of this. <laughs> I was leading two full-time ministries and had a bunch of entrepreneurial things on the side. And I said, I, I really need to get away from all of this. And I need to, I need to just have some time to, to clear my thoughts. And I, I want some time with you and the kids. And I just want to hit pause on all my responsibilities. So let's just go to Florida and have a vacation. And she didn't say much about it because she didn't really think I was going to do it. Because we really hadn't been taking consistent vacations. And so I went online and I booked a hotel somewhere near Disney. And uh, I didn't really know a whole lot of details about where where to book or where not to book or whatever. I just went online, booked a hotel, and I was like, there you go. It's booked. Now we'll drive there and figure out what we're going to do once we get there. And uh, <laughs> and she looked at me and she's like, oh, so this is real? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, it's real. And she said, you know what? You have not taken much time off. And I didn't think that this was going to be real. But if you pay money for something, I know it's real. And you just paid money for that. So apparently we're going to Florida. <laughs> we got in the car and we drove to Florida. And it was awesome. And I thought, and I this is this will make you laugh, knowing your personality and knowing some of the things you're interested in. But while we were there, I said to her, I literally said this, Heidi. I said, so this is why people take vacations. Like, I, felt, <laughs> I felt so relaxed. I felt like I had so much mental clarity. I was starting to realize the things that I needed to invest my time in, but then things I really needed to drop from my schedule. And I just got so much clarity about that. And I left that trip so refreshed and uh, really started to make some changes. And I, I told her soon after that, I said, all right, here's what needs to happen. I need to step down from one of these ministries that I'm leading and just focus on one. And then I need to carve out my schedule differently because I've discovered that if something gets on the calendar, it happens. If it just lives in the world of good intentions, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be a date night every week for you and I. This is going to be family night for us and the kids every week. And these are our non-negotiable times. We can negotiate other times during the week with other people and and their requests or or demands on our time. But these are two times we need to protect. And so we protected date night. We protected family night. And we also started scheduling. Eventually, it became four vacations a year. And they're not even complicated vacations. We primarily just rent cabins in different parts of uh, the region. And we'll disappear every three months for a few days or for a week and uh, just spend time together as a family. But those patterns of the family night and the date night and the quarterly vacations, it started in that era. And that's what we've been continuing with during this particular season. So I know that's kind of a long answer, but it was phases of learning what it's like to carve out time for our family.
0: That's perfect, because I think when you can step away... I think our society is just confused sometimes, you know, that that if we just keep working our way through this, we're going to get the answer. And I have found personally that every time I step away, even if it's just for a walk at lunch, I had a really rough morning this morning and I was like, I got to walk away. I just got to get out of here. And I took a walk and it was pretty amazing. My dog loved it. My dog really thinks I'm a perfect person now. Like, hey, you took me for a walk, Heidi. Thanks. Right. I'm so much happier now. Do you ever
1: hear what Michael Hyatt says about that? He he says (laughs) motion improves emotion. Yes. So it's like you got to Get in motion.
0: Yeah, you got to get your brain like disconnected from all the stuff in order to. But yeah, I would say vacation was for me always the reason to disconnect. Was like Mm -hmm. the purpose of vacation was to escape, to disconnect, to not worry about all the distractions in life. And it's interesting you say that because my husband had never he traveled very infrequently as a child. Mm -hmm. He did not. You know, they didn't take luxurious vacations. He had been on one airplane before he met me. He'd been on more airplanes since he's met me than he was all of his first 18 years or 20. I think I met him when he was like 28. Nice. So like, he had, I think he'd been on one airplane. And so for us, it, I had to like convince him that this was OK. You know, like we can go on vacation. We can go places other than to your parents up north. You know, right. So and that, I think, was an eye opening moment when he realized about, you know, after our two kids were born. Like, oh, I think I get it now. I think I understand what vacation means. It doesn't always mean luxurious, you know, places, but this time away to get rid of the distractions. I love what you said, though, about scheduling it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the part that... It's easy to think about something and desire it and want it. It's another thing to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So you put the date night on the list, you put the family night on the list and four vacations a year. I think that's super exciting in terms of creating the practice even of what is it we really want out of life? Have you found that it's hard to maintain that level of practice or now is it so built into your repertoire and your schedule that it just is what it is?
1: It's pretty much built in. The hardest part about it is the fact that my kids are getting older and their schedules aren't quite as flexible as they were when they were little. So I've got, let's see, my daughter turns 21 this summer. My son turns 19 today. Today's actually his birthday. Happy Uh, birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jay, (laughs) if you listen to this podcast. And then Daniel is 17 and Julia is 15. And so we've got two in college, two in high school. It's very hard to kind of carve out time as easily as we could have when their schedules were very much at our liberty. So it's it takes a lot more work to to make the family night thing happen and even the the vacations to happen. That's starting to get interrupted some too as they have jobs of their own and and school responsibilities that we don't have a lot of control over and you know in in their college years. But one of the things that I've noticed is It does tend to get baked into the expectations we all have about how a week or how a month or how a year is scheduled. And I don't make it a big secret that Monday night is family night and Friday night is date night and that quarterly we take a vacation. So even in my role as a pastor, our church has come to learn to expect that. In fact, I had a guy uh, week ago, say to me, he said, Hey, any chance we could get together one of these evenings? I just want to chat with you about a few things. And he said, and, and I was looking at my schedule and I I wasn't sure if you had Friday open because I know you and Andrea go out on Friday nights. And I said, I definitely don't have Fridays open because of that. And I said, honestly, if you want to bleed, You can uh, interrupt date night uh, and it probably won't be me that hurts you. It will probably be Andrea that, that just comes and gets you because we protect that fiercely. And he laughed about that because he knows that my wife is a very mild mannered person. But at the same time, we're pretty fierce about protecting that as best as we can. We know things come up, but not too often. You know, I would say out of 52 Fridays a year, we probably have date night. Forty-seven of those, you know, there's not too many in a year that that get interrupted, and so we were the same way, especially when our children were younger about protecting Monday night, and it was the very rare exception that we allowed to interrupt that, and that was something, you know, when I look back, especially as my kids are aging out, I I am so glad that we protected that time that we had the quarterly vacations, but also right now, especially as my kids one one at a time are going to start leaving the nest, I'm so glad that. I was also at the same time investing time with my wife because I always hear horror stories and I've done so much uh, marriage counseling through the years of couples that never really took time for each other. And mm-hmm. then the kids leave the house and they don't even know how to relate to one another anymore. Yeah. And uh, I think to myself, you know, the date night was just as important as the family night.
0: Yeah, it makes so much sense. But we don't do those things very often unless we get really intentional. So
1: got to get on the calendar. Yeah, you got to fight for it and protect it.
0: Yeah. Your your children are older. I'm I'm curious, how did you keep them Thinking this was cool into their teenage and adult years because I can imagine there comes a time when I have an eleven year old and my eleven year old lately, boy, I don't know what's going on, (laughs) but I'm already yeah, like, mom, do you have to hug me? And I was like, yes, I do. Yeah, yep, all the time, all the time. And if your friends are around, I'm even gonna kiss you. You know, like, so accept it and move on. But I know some families really struggle with like, how do I get my kids excited about? Well, in my case, it would be like adventure, but how do you get them excited about enjoying family time or continuing to want to participate?
1: I think a big part of it is just almost insisting, especially when we had more control over their life, you don't have a choice. So you can go <laughs> upset or you can have fun, but I don't care. We're all going and we're going to have fun. So there's part of that, just kind of putting your foot down and saying, you could be crabby all you want. We'll just make fun of you. But, uh <laughs> Uh, so that, so that's that 's like one part of it, but the other part that might even be a little more significant than my snark there is kind of picking things that for the most part, we know we all liked and and when something kind of wears out, adjusting. So we noticed that there was one place in particular that we all seemed to really enjoy eating at, and it wasn't too terribly expensive, and they had a nice family uh, night special. And so we would go there every Monday night, and then we would, after we'd go out to eat, maybe we'd either play a board game at home together or we'd watch a movie together. And uh, that was kind of fun. Or sometimes we'd incorporate just going to a local park that had some good walking trails, and we would walk after dinner. That was also a lot of fun when we were doing that. So that was Monday night. We kind of adjusted it based on what everybody seemed to like and, and uh, it seemed to be good. And then we did different things for vacations. But what we noticed over time was that more and more, nobody seemed to want the elaborate thing. Everybody seemed to like mm-hmm. when we would just pick a cabin somewhere, wooded, remote, away from people and responsibilities and just go there and not really hyper schedule everything and just have an enjoyable time and just live in the woods and either go fishing or go walking or just sit out on a porch or, you know, hopefully there'd be a fire pit at the place that we would rent and, you know, we'd just build a fire. And gradually more and more, we're not beach people at all, like not even a little bit. And people don't (laughs) understand that about us. And if any beach people are listening to this, I hope they'll forgive me and we can still be friends, but we love mountains. We love Woods. We love campfires and lakes and rivers and and things like that. As that became clear, we just start. We're like, all right, it's three months. Let's rent a cabin here. Hey, let's rent a new cabin in this place. Hey, let's rent a cabin up Mm -hmm. here. And that's basically what we ended up doing because everybody seemed to like it so much.
0: Yeah, I we always joke, too, my husband can't sit on a beach to save his life. He, I think he's got massive, like, ADHD or something. Because after, like, a day, I can't even sit with him in the passenger seat when I'm driving. So I think there's something about a beach that requires you to be still. And he's just, it's, we're not beach people either. We'll do it because it's easy for the kids to entertain now at the ages they're at. Yeah. But it is not my thing. <laughs> I love the cabin in the woods concept, though, because you're also, usually the internet isn't super great. And they... <laughs>
1: Right. It usually stinks, like totally <laughs> stinks. Although places are starting to get better at yeah. it. But our favorite cabin has no internet.
0: Nice. So do you go back to the same location over and over?
1: We do until we get sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a place in Western New York we go in the summer. That one's a week. We love it. And then in the fall, there's a place in, in Pine Grove, Pennsylvania. We'll go there and every, everybody loves that place. Uh, that's the one with no internet. We're like, that's cool. <laughs> We're fine with that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And then, let's see, around New Year's time, that one's actually not a cabin. We actually do a family tour at that point. We'll go and visit my family up in northeastern Pennsylvania, and then we'll go visit my wife's family near Buffalo, and then we'll go visit her sister in uh, Pittsburgh, and we'll kind of make a loop around and do a bunch of family visits around around New Year's. But then, again, when we get back into into the spring season, you know, we just came back from renting a, a cabin up in the Poconos, and it was a blast.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think there's so many options when we get stuck going with what's comfortable or what's expected. And so I love the cabin in the woods. I would do that. I live in the country. I live this world every single day. I We joke. I was like, since this whole right. quarantine, I've been working, not really quarantine anymore, but I've been working from home and there's weeks where I don't know that we leave the property because we're. <laughs> it's pretty sad. I don't know. Maybe people are going to start questioning me, but I find it so relaxing. There's yesterday... My son and the two, actually all three kids jumped in a rowboat and went out and we have a little swamp in front of our house and they went out and I was like, (laughs) how many other kids get to like enjoy the swamp on a random day, you know?
1: For real. I know. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. The smell's not awesome in August, but I'll take it for (laughs) March. You know, you got to swap things out every once in a while. (laughs) John, I wanted to talk with you. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. We talk a lot about adventure as being kind of a new or uncomfortable stretch zone type of thing. And I think most people think it's always an outdoorsy thing. Mm -hmm. But for you, it seems to be much more of an entrepreneurial thing. So can you just talk through Mm -hmm. some of the rant? I mean, people think of pastor, right? Okay, that's leading a church. But you have a lot of other things going on in your life. Let's just start with what are some of those other things first?
1: So, all right. Here, here's the main ones. Um, I I love writing, and so I write books. Really, in 2014, I got very serious about my writing and decided, you know what, this is this is something I'm going to pursue, and I'm going to see if this is something that catches on. And I was I was grateful to see that it did. It ended up having a a, a life outside of my computer. And so that was exciting. And then in 2015, I got into podcasting. Years ago, I I used to work for a radio station when I was pastoring a church a a couple hours north from where I live now. And I loved it. I had always wanted to do something like that, too. That was something very much on my bucket list when I was a kid. I always thought, boy, being a radio DJ, that'd be so awesome.
0: You have like the perfect radio voice, too. So I can totally picture you as a radio DJ. I,
1: I loved it. Yeah, it was so fun. Like it was just so fun. How cool is it? There's a way that you could actually earn an income by talking to people. So when podcasting kind of came on the radar, I thought, let me try my hand at that, and that was such a good fit for the things that I like doing. And and that you know ended up becoming something that I, I consider it a significant part of how I invest my time now. And and uh, that's something I really enjoy doing. So I started hosting the podcast. Decided. I really need to put these under an umbrella somewhere because I have these books and these podcasts. But there's nothing that really connects them. And so that's when I started a website and a blog, and I, I put them under that umbrella. And then I started uh, having people ask me to do sp- just some speaking things and some webinars or teach them some of the things I was working on. And I thought, well, let, let me make that another aspect of what goes under this umbrella and then the blog started catching on, and and then people started reaching out to me and saying, "Hey, you know do you allow advertisers on that?" and As these things continued to grow, it actually turned into something that became a genuine source of secondary income and I thought, "Wow, I mean, I didn't do this necessarily automatically expecting that that would happen. I guess in the back of my mind, I hope some of that would happen you know i've got a lot of hungry mouths in this house to feed and, and um <laughs> My role in ministry has been kind of interesting in the sense that I've been involved in church planting, which is its own adventure. You know, we moved here to Langhorne, Pennsylvania to plant this church in 2008. It came with no guarantees. I I said to my wife, I, I said, all right, here's the deal. There's a church that's closed. It's where we went to college, has almost no people, but there are a few left there's a building, but it needs help. It can't pay me a salary and there's no place to live. What do you think? Let's move. i That's a real conversation. And to her credit, Andrea was like, I'm going to give some thought to this. Let's pray about this. This might be something we should do. So we did it. It was exciting. But one of the things you discover when you're planting a church is that a salary that someone in a more traditional context can expect is not something promised to you. That's not a guarantee. And And we went through seasons where The church wanted to pay me and sometimes could pay me a partial salary, but there are times they couldn't pay me anything because it just wasn't there in the budget. I still remember our treasurer with tears in his eyes admitting that to me. And I, I also thought, all right, I need to be thinking about ways in which I can continue to do this without being a financial burden to the church. And so that's again, you know, when the books and the podcasts and the webinars and and the blog and all of that started to take shape, I I honestly prayed about it. And I felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart. Here's the things you like doing, John. Here's the things that I've made you good at. Go do those things and watch and see what comes of it. Over time, one of the coolest parts that came from it was once the podcast started catching on and once the book started catching on that I was self-publishing. At the end of 2019, the largest publisher in the United States offered me a book deal wow. with an advance and uh and paid me to write my next book. And I, I mean, it's just so amazing. You know, when you look at what it looks like to just take some steps of faith, you don't need to know like five steps ahead, right? You just need to be obedient to take the next step. I need to take the next step today and not worry about two days from now. Just take the step I'm supposed to take today. And then you watch what gradually unfolds as you keep taking those steps one step at a time. And so now, you know, a few years after some of those crisis points, I'm I'm getting to see how this is all developing. And I'm amazed by it. And I feel so blessed by it. I'm just very grateful. And it's just a reminder to me every day that God's got his hand on my life and I can trust him. I I love what he's showing me each and every day. I think that's the story of my life. I just watch as he's just showing me and convincing me more and more I can trust him. I don't need to know five years from now. I don't need to know 10 years from now. I just, I can trust him today. And that's kind of the most exciting part when we talk about adventure. Just that that step of faith, that walk of faith that he's got me on. Mm-hmm. I find that exciting, but I also feel, I find it comforting.
0: I appreciate that. And I feel like you just told us the most epic adventure I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, I think about <laughs> your wife even saying, okay, yeah, let's do this. Sign me up. What? Yeah, what? let's do it. Because what gets in the way so often of people not adventuring is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of their mm. safety, fear of stability, that what if this doesn't work? And it doesn't even have to be adventure, but really anything new, it, which is what I call adventure anyway. But I think fear gets in the way. And the fact that you were able to be comfortable making the first step and trusting in the Lord to help you through those next steps is really a powerful testament to why you're here today and how you've progressed.
1: Awesome. Yeah, it's, just been, it's been a learning process along the way, but he's, he's impressing upon my heart that I really can trust him. He's guiding the steps.
0: There is so much amazing content that I wanted to just pause and offer some key takeaways, but invite you to continue listening to the second part of this episode that we're going to focus on being called to adventure. I have 10 key takeaways from this episode. Number one, are you someone who says yes to a lot of things? Make sure you don't dilute the power of your yes. When you can say no, your yes will be so much more empowering. Number two, saying yes can fill your calendar if you are not careful, and it can deplete what is available for your family. Number three. The power of a vacation can be a reset to offer clarity. However, there is a difference between a reset and an escape. An escape is if you leave the challenges behind but come back to them without changing anything. Number four. If something gets on the calendar, it happens. If it lives in the world of good intentions, it doesn't happen. What is making its way into your calendar and is that a vote for your time? Number five. Quarterly vacations are time together as a family. They don't have to be complicated. A simple cabin in the woods is enough time together to regroup and connect. Number six, build the habit and practice of non-negotiables. Bake into the expectations how a week, month, or year look like in your family life. Number seven, your non-negotiables don't have to be a secret. Tell others who want some of your time what is reserved for family time. Number eight. The connection is not only with your kids, but with your spouse as well. John hears many stories of relationships gone awry at the empty nest stage of their marriage. Building that practice and relationship throughout the marriage is also critical. Number eight. Family times with teens can be tricky. On the snarky side, he said, well, they didn't have a choice. So we could either make fun of them or they could have fun. choosing activities that most like is helpful and adjusting when things start to wear out. Number nine. What is the dream list? What are the things that light you up, that excite you, or that you're curious about, or completely freak you out? Not only make the list, but have the courage to go after it. Number 10, just go for it. The worst that can happen is someone says no, but somewhere along the line, there will be a yes or an open door, and you'll be so glad you had the bravery to go for it. The outcome will even impress you. I encourage you to keep listening and to purchase John's book, Dwell on These Things, 31 Days to Challenge to Talk to Yourself Like God Talks to You, released on May 25th. You can buy it anywhere books are sold. Or if you'd like to connect with John, you can go to his website at desirejesus.com or keep listening because there is more to this story. Did you imagine as an 18-year-old boy that you were going to be a pastor? Is this something that you knew you were always going to be?
1: It's funny. Like I fought the idea. My dad tells me that I told him when I was 10 years old that I was going to be a pastor. I have no memory <laughs> of doing that. And in fact, I think I was. Pro- if I did say that, I was probably just doing it to bust his chops because he thought that I was going to take over the grocery business. And I probably was just doing that to be an irritant more so <laughs> than anything if I said that to him. But right around 15, I started to, to get pretty serious about my faith. I started thinking about, if that might be God's calling on my life. But there were a whole bunch of things about being a pastor that really did not appeal to me. I really didn't like the idea of everybody nitpicking every single thing that I I did mm-hmm. and and then having this unrealistic expectation of trying to be Mr. Perfect or anything like that. Because I just didn't like that kind of mindset or the way I would see people treat pastors. It just it's just unrealistic. It's impossible because they're they're human beings and they can't live up to these expectations of perfection, however nice the man might be. Mm -hmm. And so I I didn't like that idea. And I also didn't like the idea. Well, two other things. I didn't like the idea of moving around a whole bunch because I saw that a lot of pastors seem to move every few years. And I had moved so many times when after my my family situation disintegrated growing up, we moved so many times. I think I counted once. It was like 12 times before I graduated high school. And it was just a lot of moving. Sometimes it was within the same town, but we just moved a lot. And I I grew to hate that to be honest with you. And then the other thing is, you know, after our family situation became so disintegrated, there's a a lot of financial struggle that goes into that. And so our family really struggled financially when I was growing up because of all that, all that conflict and all those issues. And many of the pastors that I knew were really struggling financially. And I thought, I'm not really interested in reliving this season of my life that I have no control over as a teenager when I'm an adult and I'm supposed to have a little bit more control over what my life looks like. And so I thought pastoring was going to be one of those things where I would just be repeating some of the same things that I was very eager to to make a clean break with. But uh, and so I went to college to be a history teacher and um I really, I didn't go to college to be a a pastor.
0: You went way back in history, didn't you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, way back. That's right. Exactly. To the creation. That's pretty far (laughs) back, right? And so, yeah, partway through my time in college, I, I was volunteering with a local church. Their youth pastor stepped down because he wanted to take a position at another church, and the church offered me his role. And so I agreed to do it, and I really liked working at that church. And then the pastor went on, he was preparing to go on vacation and he reached out to the elders and he said, Hey, who wants to preach for me while I'm going to be away? And none of them could do it. And one of them said, why don't you ask John? I, I hadn't preached before. And, uh, that's kind of terrifying by the way, Heidi, I I Uh, gotta tell you, like I've done it.
0: Can I just say I've done it? It was, it was terrifying. I mean, when,
1: if you don't do that regularly, that's scary, right? Like sometimes you get just thrust into a situation where you're like, apparently I've got to step up here and that's, that's, how it, it kind of worked out for me. Like the the pastor reached out to me and he said, hey, you don't have to say yes to this, but any chance you'd speak for me when I'm going to be on my vacation. And I paused for a second. And I remembered a message that I had heard a while back about Joseph from the Old Testament. And and the lesson that the pastor was sharing was every time God opened a door and asked Joseph to step up, he said, yes. And that flashed through my mind when he asked me to do that. And I thought, all right, God's opening a door. It's my time to step up. No, I don't know how to preach sermons. And yes, this is scary, but I'm just going to say yes and then figure it out afterward. And so I said, yes, I'll do it. And he said to me, he's like, now are you sure? Like, I'm not trying to make you do this. And I said, no, I'll do it. I I said, I'm going to do it. And he said, okay. So he scheduled me to do it. I think I had like two months notice. And so I, I started preparing that message. And I remember the night before I had to preach that message, I snuck into the church. I had a key because I was a youth director. And I went into the church and I didn't turn on any lights. It was in the evening, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I didn't want the pastor to know I was over there. I didn't want anyone to know anyone was in the church. And I went and I stood in the pulpit area because I was so nervous. And I just wanted to preach it out loud and kind of get over the nerves. And I preached it to an empty building several times. I was like, all right, I think we'll be good. And the next morning, I got up in the pulpit and I I preached that message. A whole bunch of my family had driven there to to be there. I remember my my parents were there. My grandparents were there. My siblings were there. Like everybody came. So no pressure, right? You know, first time you're preaching and everyone that you love deepest in this world shows up to hear it. Right. And um, afterward, my grandfather coming up to me and he is a man of few words. And I'd always wondered, are my grandparents proud of me? And I remember he looked at me with that tear in his eye and he shook my hand and all he said was one word, good. That's all he said. He just goes, good. Hmm. And I felt so encouraged and affirmed by that. Yeah. And I, I thought, wow, my my grandfather is showing me emotion here and giving me his approval in something I just did. I left that experience convinced that I needed to take the step of faith and enter into pastoral ministry that I was basically running from what God had called me to do. And I thought, I can't worry about whether or not I move. I can't worry about whether I'm broke. I just need to say yes, because this is what God wants me to do. So I'm going to do it. I told the pastor, I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to switch up what I'm planning to do, and uh, I'm going to head into pastoral ministry here. I, I talked to Andrea about it. You know, we were planning to get married at that point And I said, up to this point, you thought you were going to be marrying a history teacher. But it looks like this is changing, and you know, if we get married, you're going to be marrying a pastor, and that—that's a whole lifestyle that goes along with that. Do, do you want to get in on this still? And she said, I, "I have to admit to you, even from the time I was a child, I always kind of thought that I was destined to marry a pastor." And she said, "So this kind of makes sense to me." And I thought, "Wow, just kind of interesting how the Lord prepares our hearts for things over the long term." And she has been the most awesome ministry partner any pastor could ever ask for or expect. She supported every single thing I've ever done, every crazy idea, every challenge in leadership, every entrepreneurial idea that I had on the side to try and help our family financially. I could not have asked for a more competent and supportive ministry partner than I have in Andrea. And it's the truth is she's the big reason why all this stuff seems to be working. Like you mentioned, and I appreciated your intro before you said, something to the effect of it seems like what John touches turns to gold. The secret sauce to all of this is that I have Andrea supporting me in everything I'm doing. And anything I've ever done, she makes 10 times better.
0: Yeah, that's so sweet of you. I think sometimes our partners in the space, you know, I always say I'm the voice, but our spouses are like the shadow power behind us that don't often get the acknowledgement totally. of what we're working on and all the things that are happening behind the scenes and the way they keep things together so that we can continue to pursue the things that we're passionate about it's really and it's really a testament to their strength and their partnership.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree.
0: You mentioned Joseph and the one thing I thought of when you were saying Joseph was Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dream Coat. Is that an inspiration for you? Did you ever connect with that story?
1: So I, I like the analog Dream Coat, you know that uh, <laughs> that he had uh, in Genesis. But yeah, his story—it's uh, the first Bible story I remember reading as a kid, and so many things have happened in my life that are um, that have a similarity to some of the things that he experienced. Where you look at his life being totally fine. And then he goes through this season where you know he's betrayed by his brothers and he's, he's sold into slavery and he finds himself in a different land. So his stable family situation blows up. Mm. And, uh, and then, but in the midst of this new circumstance he's in, he continues to trust God and God keeps opening up new doors for him. And he walks through those doors and he serves faithfully through every context that he's, that he's in. And the Lord keeps opening up new doors and raising him up to a new thing. And then before you know it, He's serving millions and millions of people in the nation of Egypt and just being such a blessing to them. And he goes back and he, he decides to be, to be a blessing to the people that had hurt him earlier in his life, particularly his brothers. And I look at that and I connect with that story on so many levels. You just find that the Lord uses those trials and those circumstances to put you in spots that you wouldn't have been in and to help you mature in ways that you wouldn't have matured if your life wasn't tested. And then he gives you the opportunity to serve people on a scale that you didn't see coming, but also teaches you don't be bitter in this because I use those hard things that you went through to prepare you for this. So see the, the big picture of the plan and uh, don't complain, you know, just serve and just be a blessing and even be a blessing to some of the people that, that made your life miserable at an earlier season. Don't worry about it. Forgive it. Let it go. Be a blessing to them. And uh, you'll feel much better about it than if you invite bitterness into your mind or into your life. And so I feel like the Lord continues to teach me lessons based on some of the things that I see in, you know, what he said about Joseph's life when you read through the book of Genesis.
0: I remember Joseph being a dreamer of sorts, you know, that people thought he was unrealistic and and yet everything seemed to have it worked out and People didn't understand what the plan was, but it worked out and his dreams became reality.
1: People made fun of those dreams. You know, people made fun of them.
0: Exactly. So in terms of your life, Mr. Dreamer, (laughs) do you still see yourself as, as Joseph and the dreamer aspect?
1: I am a big dreamer. I dream more when I'm awake than I do when I'm asleep. I have so many what-if scenarios and and maybe scenarios that I think about and things that I'm aiming toward that I think, you know what, I'm going to aim toward this. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, it'll still be fun trying. I'll tell you, one of the things that I really, in recent months, decided was a dream of mine for this coming year was to get to meet and talk with some of the people that I've looked up to since my childhood. And I decided to, for a variety of reasons, to add an interview component to my podcast, but I also decided to start reaching out to people that I've looked up to since I was, you know, some of them in in elementary school or junior high or high school. And I thought, what's the worst they can say if I invite them on my show? They, They could just tell me no, and then that's that. I started reaching out to them. Some of my favorite musicians and professional wrestlers and people like that, that I, I just thought, man, these people are great and they've been coming on my show. And so I get to actually, sometimes I, sometimes I look at this, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm here talking to the lead singer of one of my favorite bands from growing up. I remember when they were on MTV and now I'm talking to this guy or talking to one of my favorite authors or talking to a professional wrestler that I used to watch on TV when I was at my grandmother's house. And I, I think to myself, this is pretty cool stuff. And you know what? People are afraid to do that cuz they're so afraid of being told no. Who cares if if you get told no? Mm-hmm. Like who cares? Like if you're comfortable with who you are and who God's designed you to be and there's something that you really want to pursue and do, just go for it. The worst that can happen is that you'll get told no, but somewhere along the line there'll be a yes or an open door that comes your way that you'll walk through and you'll be so glad that you had the the bravery to give it a shot because the the outcome of it ended up surprising even you
0: mic drop there we go <laughs> because don't drop that mic you're a
1: podcaster (laughs) protect that mic
0: hold the mic (laughs) 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 no there's times when i get caught up in people's stories and i was like there it is that's that's the story that we all need to hear right just go for it what are you so afraid of i love that message of just go for it because i think so many of us get hung up on figuring out how and what and when and all those kinds of things that what doesn't cost you anything to ask that just go for it
1: yeah exactly
0: i appreciate that John, I haven't given you a chance to talk about your book that'll be coming out soon. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Love to.
1: Yeah. The, the book that I have coming out, it'll be released on May 25th. It's called Dwell on These Things, and the subtitle of it is A 31-Day Challenge to Talk to Yourself Like God Talks to You. What I've noticed over the course of my life, just in regard to my own mental dialogue that takes place, that it could be very easy to talk ourselves down or speak to ourselves in a way that our creator doesn't even speak to us that way. And so we internalize messages or negative self talk that isn't even true. And we discourage ourselves from doing the very things we've been designed to do. When you look at what the Bible actually teaches us, one of the things that it encourages us to do is to dwell on things mentally that are helpful and healthy and encouraging and uplifting. And uh, there's a particular verse in the Bible that, that speaks to that, Philippians 4, 8. It encourages us to dwell on those things. And so I thought I wanted to write a book, and this is the book that I, I wrote with Waterbrook, which is a subsidiary of Penguin Random House. I wanted to write a book that helped people go through a process over the course of a month where they could kind of retrain their mind to start dwelling on the type of things that God actually encourages us to dwell on, instead of the negative self-talk or the bitter messages or the things that really drag us down. You know, what would it look like to just carve out a month of our year to dwell on things that were helpful and encouraging and uplifting? And so that's the premise of the book. And I'm so grateful and so excited that the publisher decided to publish this, that they gave me the opportunity to write this and that they're going to market this thing and this thing's going to be out there. You'll be able to walk in stores and you'll see this different places. It's a whole new experience for me. I'm I'm super excited about it. You know, if that's the type of thing that people would find encouraging, definitely check it out. You know, if you think it stinks, leave a terrible review for it and maybe I'll write a better book in the future. But I, I think you'll find something encouraging in it.
0: That's fun. That's so fun. I appreciate all that you've shared with us. And I'll put all of your links in the show notes. But if people wanted to follow you, find you, connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Best way to do that is is from my website. They can go over to desirejesus.com. And there's a variety of ways to connect over there. And I'd, I'd love to be able to connect with people. That'd be great.
0: Perfect. Well, John, thank you so much for being a guest on the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. And you have so many fun takeaways that I will be pulling here in a second. So thank you again for being a guest here today and talking through the foundations of connection, both spiritual and within your family.
1: Heidi, thank you so much for the invitation. And can I just give you a plug before you uh, before you turn that mic off? Sure. I think you're an awesome podcast host. When I (laughs) listen to your show, I listen to your show and I like your show. And I always feel like I can hear you smiling as you interview your guests. And I like that about your show. So thank you for being a spot that I can tune into that is just a bright spot for me. So again, I appreciate your show. And because I appreciate it, I really consider it an honor to be invited to be a guest on your show. So thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Ah, John, I'm like blushing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i mean yeah, it. honest thank you. truth
0: thank you so much for that it's such an honor thank you so much everybody for sticking with us on this episode if you are looking for connection either with as a family and just looking for ways to make it through the summer check out ordinarysherpa.com sherpa.com backslash challenge and we can help you if you're looking for spiritual connection connect with john stongy read his book dwell on these things or follow any of his podcasts listed in the show notes It has been such an honor and a pleasure to have you with me on this journey. Thank you so much and keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us.